We're discussing a guilty plea to obstruction of justice today for retired General Jonathan Vance, the country's former chief of the defense staff. Defense Minister Anita Anand declined to comment on that case, but would say this. As Minister of National Defense, my responsibility is to continue to build an institution where everyone can work with the respect and the protections that they need to do their jobs on behalf of our country. Since February 2021, though, 11 senior Canadian military leaders, current and former, have been sidelined, investigated, or forced into retirement. Joining me now is Megan McKenzie, the Simons Chair in International Law and Human Security in the School for International Studies at Simon Fraser University. She's the author of Beyond the Band of Brothers, the U.S. military and the myth that women can't fight. Thanks for being here, Megan. Thanks for having me. I guess the the obvious question, just your initial reaction to a guilty plea from someone who used to be this country's top soldier. Well, actually, I'm not surprised by the guilty plea. I think there is an overwhelming amount of evidence to indicate that he is guilty. So it would be very surprising if we had anything but a guilty plea. Um, so that that part isn't very surprising. How about the just the broader implications of this case? It came to symbolize something much bigger and much more profound about the Canadian military. Yeah, this case was very significant. It was sort of was the first of a series of cases that showed a high level of dysfunction in the CAF when it comes to sexual misconduct. We had someone at the top of um, the defense forces facing very serious allegations and, and allegations that extended over a long period of time. And then after this case was um, after after it broke, we had a series of cases that actually still continue. So I think the public is very interested in this case and should be interested in this case. And seeing how it's playing out, I think is a, a you know, victims are very interested to see uh, whether or not um, we're going to see different outcomes, given all of the attention, all of the sort of new commitments the CAF has made when it comes to sexual misconduct and how it's going to handle it. When you look at this, at some of the specifics of this case, how did it come to embody a lot of, of that dysfunction that you describe? I think what's in, interesting about this case and what is sort of illustrative of sexual misconduct, I think sometimes people can assume that sexual misconduct in the CAF or in other defense forces are sort of isolated incidents. But actually, m- many of the um, incidents involve ongoing forms of harassment, ongoing forms of abuse of power. And in some cases, uh, relationships that maybe started out consensually and then become coercive. And I think this is an interesting case where you had a consensual relationship that um, the victim described as becoming coercive and very difficult to get out of because of the power imbalance, because of her concerns about her career. And so that, that kind of illustrates some of the tricky elements when it comes to the military, where you have um, such a hierarchical insti- uh, you know, institution, you have um, uh, service members having huge control over other service members' careers, and it becomes very difficult, I think, for victims to know how to navigate out of that without destroying their careers. I guess if you look at the facts of the case, one of the things that stands out is the idea that even after this was about to be made public, even after she had shared her story, he was still telling her to change her story. Yeah, I think it's um, it, I think it's an interesting example of someone who really was in denial and not willing to take accountability. You know, be responsible. Um, I think you know this this obstruction of justice charge is very serious, and I think um, 
kind of confirms what the victim has said, that this is someone who has abused his power when it comes to this relationship. Um, you know, I think there's evidence from, from eyewitness and from colleagues that they were quite open about the relationship, even as Vance denied it. And I think that's really important to know that, um, you know, up until recently, Vance denied um, fathering a, a child with, with the victim, even though now we have a paternity test. So there's all kinds of evidence to support the victim's claims um, and very little accountability on, on his part. In the um, in some of the statements that were read out today in support, um, again, the defense lawyer in this case, or the sort of the the, uh, the prosecution, had to remind the, the court that that in fact uh, he was not the victim here. I think the what happened is I'm so outraged at what happened, and I, I do think that it painted Vance as a victim that he's had a loss as a result of this case that it's been detrimental to his ability to. Um, make money um, that, you know, all of the support and references to his, you know, it may be that he uh, served well, but it is relevant to whether or not he committed a crime and whether or not he committed misconduct. And so I, I really think that these character um, references of support should not be part of proceedings, particularly when it comes to sexual misconduct, because we know that the good guy defense um, actually is compelling for, for judges and for juries. Uh, we see that in, in other high profile civilian cases where there's this presumed, um, you know, that, that someone is often it's only white men that, that this defense works for, quite frankly, and, and that there's this presumption that they um, have so much more to offer society and that they're generally good human beings. And so um, and that only works when you have all of this evidence pointing to uh, distractions, I think, which is in the form of, you know, career references. Taking the, the letters of support into consideration, but also taking the conviction into consideration and some of the words we've seen of late from the Minister of Defense, there's a, a report about to come out from uh, from Louise Arbour on this. Uh, are we moving in the right direction or is today evidence of something else? I think today is evidence that um, despite all of the positive rhetoric so far and, and some positive efforts at change, I think the Arbora report is, uh, review is going to be very important um, and has already been very important. But I think there's still some systemic um, uh, problems that are, are not addressed, including having um, character references in a sexual misconduct and in a criminal um, in a criminal case. Um, I think ultimately we're going to have one of the most senior members of the Canadian Armed Forces who's accused of sexual misconduct where there's ample evidence of misconduct largely get away with it and, and not face criminal charges. And I think that's disappointing um, and not doesn't bode well for those hoping for significant cultural change. And I'm back with Megan McKenzie, the Simons Chair in International Law and Human Security in the School for International Studies at Simon Fraser University. We've been discussing uh, Jonathan Vance, the former Chief of Defence Staff's guilty plea today to obstruction of justice charges uh, in relation with a case uh, of sexual misconduct, uh, with a or at least a case of sexual misconduct with a former subordinate. Um, Megan, in terms of the broader We've seen an apology, a tearful apology from the new Minister of National Defense. As you mentioned, we're waiting for that Orbora report on reform. Uh, what needs to be done now so that the lessons even of today 
are properly learned within a system that seems like, within a military that seems like it's moving very slow to reform? Yeah, I think one of the most concrete lessons that can be learned from today is that cases of sexual misconduct should not involve character uh, references and, um, you know, shouldn't focus on, we heard a lengthy sort of overview of Vance's career today. And I think, um, I think these character references can do, uh, you know, a couple of things that are are problematic. First, they distract from the criminal charge. Um, I'm not sure how the number of deployments relates to a specific criminal charge, quite frankly. And I think it can sort of, um, it really is part of what I've described as the good guy defense. It can kind of create a perception of someone as a good person, despite the fact that they have committed a crime. Um, And I think the other thing that those character references do is really show other victims and the, the victim in a particular case that senior members of the defense force have each other's back and that, um, that really doesn't bode well, I think, for, for um, broader efforts to change the culture and to, to convince um, victims and other service members that the CAF really does have a zero tolerance, have zero tolerance when it comes to sexual misconduct. So I think that's a very concrete step that could take place both in the civilian context and um, uh, if, if the military justice system is allowed to handle sexual misconduct cases again. Um, I think there, there are certainly broader um, steps that need to be taken, but there are, you know, it, it is overwhelming, but I do think there's some concrete ones like that, that are sort of immediate that could take place. In terms of just the, the, the number of accusations and cases we've seen opened against senior leadership in the Canadian Armed Forces over the last while, uh, and again, the apology from the Minister of Defence, the Arbor Report, um, has the ship turned at all, do you think? Is, is, I, I guess I'm curious to just as, as to whether this needs to be like, they, it needs to be literally started all over again, or whether they're at least moving in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good kind of metaphor, the ship turning. I think one of the problems for me is that you have the same drivers, ultimately. You have existing service members, existing leaders. So, of course, there have been new appointments when it comes to culture, and I think those are good signals in some ways. But ultimately, you have service members who've had their entire careers within a system that's been described as toxic and dysfunctional. And so I'm not sure that culture change within the CAF can be led internally. I'm not sure that it can be led by, you know, driving the ship by, uh, from someone who, who really um, has been internal to that, whether or not, of course, they've, they've been part of that toxic culture. But I, I'm, not, I'm just not sure how culture change led by existing leaders is going to work. And so um, that's one of my biggest concerns is that there's such significant change needed. And I, and I feel like, um, what might amount, what, what we might see is sort of some just tweaks and some attempts to sort of retrain or just, uh, you know, slight adjustments when actually we do need a full turnaround. And this is obviously having a huge impact on even the effectiveness of our military, or at least the quality of our military, because literally, I mean, according to recent reports, women, uh, people who don't feel comfortable within the system are leaving and they're having trouble recruiting. Yes. And understandably, I mean, this is an institution where particularly if you're a female, particularly if you're racialized, particularly if you're a sexual minority, 
Um, you have a very high probability of, of facing harassment or misconduct, and it's very unlikely that anyone will be accountable for that. I mean, I don't know how you recruit into an institution with that kind of record. Is this, this is obviously not, we've been reading stories out of the U.S. as, as well. This is obviously not isolated to Canada's military, but is a, seems to be a systemic problem in militaries around the world. Yes, it is, particularly Western militaries. So I've looked um, really closely at the Australian Defence Forces and the U.S. military when it comes to sexual misconduct. And we see very um, similar kinds of patterns where, um, you know, one of the biggest patterns, quite frankly, is that attention to this issue is really driven by these high profile cases. So in this in the Canadian context, we have Vance and other senior leaders and it will generate some media attention, some new commitments made by government or military leaders, and then often very little changes until the next scandal. And so I think what I hope for the CAF is that there is, um, you know, more than just token changes so that we aren't talking about this in six months and sort of making the same recommendations around military justice, around accountability, um, and that's a pattern that's that's really gone on for the last three decades. Megan McKenzie, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me.